the right way. Here's Fox to center. Fox to the right of the line. Cuts to the left side. Fox still with Fox shoots. Score! Oh, what a goal! So, uh, so Jim, what time do you wake up this morning? Waking up was not that bad. Uh, I got up at 8.30. Oh, that's not bad at not all. Not bad. I was asleep by 3.30. So Is that like normal? You get like off a road trip? Yes. Uh, for me, it's normal. When I get home, I can't sleep, so I have my regular cereal before I go to bed, which I do like normally every cereal? night. Yeah, breakfast cereal. No, last night it was so you like you know watch a show or something. Susie was, you know, was, she's always there for me. So it was Rice Krispie Squares. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to eat those. You're such a kid. And then you know I had the Sunday crossword I had to do. <laughs> so by the time I'm actually sleeping, it's probably closer to four o'clock. So, wow. you know, four and a half hours sleep. Wow. Not bad. You're, you, you, I'm sure you're, you're close I'm, to the airport. You're, yeah, I'm closer. I'm like 10 minute drive. I'm, but you know what? That's the one thing that I didn't understand about road trips in the NHL and especially road trips in the Western Conference. How late you get home from these. I, I know some teams, when they come west, they fly red eye back to the East Coast. But I, I find it really challenging to keep a normal sleep schedule in in this conference. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know how the players do it. Just try and play a game. Yeah. And then that's why I'm a proponent of, and I know this goes against some of the modern-day scientific research, what they're doing, but to get to sleep after a game, your body is so hyped. Yeah. It's almost yeah. impossible. So I'm for getting on the plane right away and going to the next city, even yeah, if you yeah. get in at 3 in the morning, all that. There are some people that say, no, stay back at the same city yeah. you were, just played the game in. Get back at the hotel at 11 o'clock. You're in bed by 12, hopefully. But again, I think most players aren't sleeping until 2 or 3 anyway. So why not spend your time getting to the next city yeah. while you're not sleeping yeah. because you're not going to sleep anyway? But it is, uh, and I know I was reading, I think I've told you, uh, I read an article, the number one predictor of injury is less than eight hours sleep the night before. So you got to get your sleep. I just hope you won't pull a hammy on the elliptical today. <laughs> no, they have the sleep water too now. Ah, yeah, that's right. There's Some players, players they that. have a water that is supposed to. I know. I yeah. I didn't look at the ingredients. I I take it every once in a while. I think it works. It doesn't give me a you know a hangover the next yeah. day. I'm ready to go. So uh, they're looking into all different ways to make sure the guys get the proper rest. Well, all right. Well, I hope we're well rested enough for episode two of the show from the Maddie Nordstrom Memorial Podcast Studio, just outside the men's room at the LA Kings offices in El Segundo. On this week's program, takeaways, one-eighth of the season, rush to judgment, maybe. One NHL coach calls for the shootout to be abolished. Another calls out his team's work ethic in Uh-oh. front of the media. And yet another says that some of his players don't deserve to be in the league. I think we might know which coach said that. And... Whether Jim got to eat ice cream last week as he hoped. All that and much, much more. So, Jim, shall we begin? And he wins it back to Foley Scores! No way! Oh my! No way! With no time remaining! There's no reason to continue the season if the ice cream machine was injured or damaged in the flood that happened at Staples Center. Just cancel the season. The season should be called off. 
Make sure the ice cream machine is ready, and then start the season uh, again. Yes, we... But it's ready. We got a fan question about the flood. I'm going to get the fan questions a little bit later in the show. It, it, it better be ready. We've had like three different ice cream machines in the press room at Staples Center already this year. It's like have, three different varieties. We have state-of-the-art right now. It is spectacular. Really? Creamy. You get the swirl with the chocolate vanilla. But the Oreo... Flavor. The Oreo grinder never works. Mm-hmm. You're a big Oreos fan, and it never works. It gums up the thing every time. I think they've stopped doing it altogether. The Oreos are not heavy enough to let gravity do its work to find its way to the bottom of the grinder. So when you turn that grinder thing, nothing comes out because I, there's no force. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So, And any object will remain in motion unless acted upon by an external force. So there's no force... Gravity's trying to bring the Oreos down into that grinder, but it's just not heavy enough. So it's the, the effect of gravity just doesn't work I'm, there. I'm glad we're tackling the real problems on uh, on this show. Uh, I did want to start things off because we're, we're basically at the end of the month of October. And it's way too early to rush to judgment about any team, especially given that every team is now going to point on their whiteboard, especially they're, they're in last place in January with what St. Louis did last year. But... Two of the first place teams in the NHL we've seen. Edmonton, Buffalo. Are they for real? I think they are. Certainly no one's going to keep up the pace they're keeping up now. But uh, I think the indicators, the internal numbers, the analytics say that Buffalo is better prepared to sustain what's going on now than Edmonton. Having said that, I don't think Either team has a goaltending tandem that is proven, but you look at the numbers of Buffaloes. I mean, Buffaloes are through the roof and fantastic. But the sustainability, after the game at Staples Center, Steve Smith, one of the assistant coaches with Buffalo, I talked to him and he said, hey, we went through the same thing last year. Yeah, we were out of the yeah. gate. We had a 10 and 10, you know. But uh, I think that they realize that when you look at their top six now, much better. Mm. Uh, I mentioned it this year, Rasmus Dahlin, Last season, his rookie season, his first game, the Kings played him early in the year. Compared to the game the Kings played against him two months later, I have never, never is too strong of a word, rarely seen a player improve that much in that short a time than Darlene. He went from a guy that was running around to a guy that was controlling the game. Edmonton's the tough part because most highly skilled player that's ever played the game, true power forward, on the same line, uh, depth just doesn't Dreisaitl look like it's going to be. Yeah, Drysdale, yeah. just you know, what a horse! But uh, so that's that's where I stand. I don't know where you you know. It looks to me that give me Carter Hutton. I got Carter Hutton on my fantasy team, and I was I, I benched him the the day the Kings played at Staples Center. I was happy because um, I didn't want to profit from a Kings loss in that fashion. Um, but given the way that he started the year. That's a pretty good goaltending tandem with Olmark and Hutton. And that's just something that they, they haven't had stability in net for a while. And now Carter Hutton, remember a couple of years ago with St. Louis, he was really good among the best in the league. And is still a, a backup, though. Still a backup. And that's why know. I use the term unproven. Yeah. I would have no problem at the end of the season saying proven, but uh, that's going to take one full year. I, I just. Reese Delaney in front yeah. of him. Last yeah. year led the league in my plus minus. You know what that means? He's the best defenseman on a bad team. Yeah. That's all it means. <laughs> yeah. Because the coach kept throwing him out there. And believe me, 
30 other teams would be lined up. If he, if he hit the waiver wire, you know, Oof. something like that. So uh, I, I think their, their personnel is really shaping up. Yeah. They're, uh, they're finally there. Should be, right, though? Yeah. You know, they've it's had all the high picks. For way yeah. too long. Yeah. And Eichel is tearing it up to begin the year. They've got six Swedes on this team. So when they go over to Sweden to play uh, in that game, it's basically going to be Tampa Bay against the Swedish national team. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I like that Buffalo team. Edmonton is, I mean, since the addition of James Neal, I guess it's taken a little bit of pressure off the top line, but they're still playing, what, 25 minutes a night for, the, for McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's not sustainable. Can't be. You can't have forwards out there that much all year. But... So far, and, if, and they're banking all the points. They count just the same in October no as they question. will at the end of the year. Yep, get to a position. And, and then I think I'm a little biased here, mm. but with Dave Tippett, that is a stabilizing factor. Uh, he comes in with a highly skilled top-end group. Again, the depth is a huge question, but I think uh, Tip has been known to squeeze some points out of situations. So if they get into a crunch time, say January, February, where all the pressure's on, they might be able to get it, you know, pull out a two wins in five when they may have gone to own five in the past. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm fascinated to see how both those teams do from out of the playoffs, first in the division again, one month in, but still good start for for both of those teams. Um, One thing that I, I wanted to get to on this podcast here, there was an interesting article that I think you would find fascinating in The Athletic. When is it acceptable to reach out to an opponent after a fight? Back in your day, I don't know how gentlemanly everything was. There is still a code in the NHL. But back in your day, did you, like, you, well, I know you're Mr. Spick and Span over there. Never got into a scrap. Except for one time, but I scared the you know <laughs> oh, what sure. out of Dave Semenko one night. Who was Dave that? Semenko. F- well, well, if you don't know, ask Wayne Gretzky. Okay, that's his big protector. About six nine, two hundred and forty-eight thousand. Uh, okay. Now pounds. I know who he is. So it's at the forum. It's in the corner. I scared him. You know. He hit me so hard he thought he killed me. That's why he was scared. Like he, <laughs> he was, it was, it was scary for a moment. <laughs> I think he was looking for life support, or for me yeah. certainly. But so these, so the story in the athletic, there are these two AHL guys that get into a fight in a game, and uh, one of them posts later on after the fact that he texted the guy after and said, "Hey, you know, good fight, buddy. You know, did a good job. You know, you got a great, great future." Um, let me see if I can read this word for word here. Um, this is Colby Cave and Martin Pospisil. Uh, hey, buddy, it's Cave from the other side. Just wanted to reach out. Hope you're okay. Uh, you're a tough kid. I respect a guy that stands up for himself. Hope you have a quick recovery, buddy. Hey, the response. I'll be all right. It was a good fight. Thanks for reaching out. This seemed to cause a little bit of a ripple in, in the NHL. Tom Wilson was asked about it, and... He uh, he almost he admitted in some ways that he's reached out to some guys he's had a scrap with, but was really really uh, cautious about going further and didn't want to explain anything about it. Is this new or is has this always been the case? Oh, it's new. I think it's new, and it's new because of technology. Now you're able to do that. When I played, we didn't even have a cell phone, let alone texting and back mm. and forth and going. 
I absolutely have no problem with it whatsoever. None at all. I'm a little bit old school, but in this instance, I have no problem with the communication. But then you have to allow your coach and your teammates to be the judge the next time you're on the ice and they're supposed to do your job. Yeah. Maybe you're on the ice against the same guy. Uh, maybe you're on the ice against a former teammate, but you still have to do your job. If you stop doing your job, that is the ultimate issue. But post-game, to contact someone about their health is fine with me. Okay. Because this, I'm a little bit surprised that you're okay with it because I know we've talked about it, to get into the mindset, especially, let's say, you play against a guy that used to be teammates with, whether it be in junior or something else, and you go to war. You battle against these guys. You, it's a physical game. You have to put the blinders on. And it almost seems like in today's day and age, players are represented by the same agents, and they've you know played everywhere together on select teams, junior teams, and blah, blah, blah. They're all buddy-buddy. They all know each other. It, there's not a lot of actual hatred anymore. What my, my stance is based on this. Can I change it? If I can't, then I have to learn how to accept it and go on and move on. I don't think I can change it. I think this is a new mode of communication Mm. between everyone, well, relatively new. Uh, So if they have that opportunity to do so, again, your judgment day will come when you're playing the next game, when you're involved in it against an ex-teammate trade situation, a junior friend, Mm. uh, best man at your wedding, and now you're going to get, that's where you're judged. Sound like Jules Winfield over there in Judgment Day and everything. I've been down at Lice level. Wow. <laughs> I I just saw Pulp Fiction for the first time. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That is. I know. I know. Yeah. You know it's my favorite movie of all time, and now you know how deranged I am. So <laughs> now I understand a lot more about Jim Fox yes. when he says Pulp Fiction's his favorite movie of all time. Yep. No question. But I, I think that the I've been down at ice level doing games, right? It's completely different than it was when I played. There are guys that are commenting to each other. There's chirping. We know that's going on. But there's also guys that are, you know, good play, nice play, which would never happen before. So do I become the old man and get off my lawn? Or do I try to understand and empathize and get into the minds of? Uh, Bottom line, when it comes to, uh, again, you will be judged by how you react not after the game during the game seems like if they got into another fight those two would be more than happy to oblige just part of the game part of the sport and when i played too it was addressed usually it was addressed it, it happened many times it was addressed about 45 minutes after the game and two guys would meet in the bar after oh okay so so they did have something like that it yeah. wasn't texting somebody you there would go were, and grab a beer yeah. after there were feuds Chuck Dowdy issues, right. those types of things. But for the most part, there is an understanding. As long as the tough guy fights the tough guy, I think those are the guys that get together after the game and say, good job, respect for the other person's ability to do their job and execute their role. That's what it is. I think when you get into trouble, if you know someone jumps someone, someone sucker punches someone, a tough guy goes after a skilled guy, that's when it mm-hmm. becomes a difficult situation. It's always weird to me when Sidney Crosby gets into a fight because there's 
got and granted if you're in the situation and you're challenged and you go you go but it always seems weird to me when he's involved in a fight or when some skilled guy is involved because as we've talked about before there are fewer and fewer uh, enforcers that are that are available to right teams. no that's i mean i never initiated fight i was a skilled player it was always protected we've talked about this before but one thing I tried to do at least once every game was make sure I went into a situation where I knew I was probably not going to win the battle, but I still went anyway because I wanted my teammates to see, okay, he might not be dropping the gloves, but he appreciates the fact that you dropped the gloves for him. So next time you go into a corner with a guy that outweighs you by 30 pounds and that happened, well, you go and you know, you protect yourself. You know, you're going to get hit. You know, you're going to get muscled probably because it's just blatant physics momentum it's going to happen but you go anyway and that was my way of at least proving to my teammates that they might look at okay if he's willing to go in there and get killed then you know who who was your enforcer who backed you up a lot of them a lot of them uh, throughout the years i mean when i first got when i first came to the nhl 1980 each team each team had four or five so it wasn't and as time goes by, you know, it just dwindles to the point now where there's probably less than one per team, right? But, you know, my first year I played against him in junior, Jay Wells. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. wiry, strong, but tough he's as nails. A, he's a strong Steve dude. Jensen, some of the old Kings fans will remember, he was a, known for great skating, but he could throw them. I mean, he could absolutely throw bombs. I mean, he would just hang. And there was so many on each team. Uh, that, you know, four or five, that would happen. You know, Kenny Baumgartner came, Marty McSorley came later on. Uh, I was able to play with those guys. Uh, and I know I'm forgetting a lot because, uh, like I said, there were four or five. I mean, Terry Ruskowski, who I played with on the same line, my size, a little bit bigger, didn't matter. Tiger Williams, yeah, played with him for many, many games, same line. Uh Interesting though, when you play with those guys, you've got to be ready to, you know, you get, you got to get ready for the scrums mm. and know what to do there because you're going to be involved in a lot of scrums because uh, they're going to start them. I would never finish them, but you're there. You got to, you got to, you got to at least you participate. You right? got to be there to, to at least make sure the manpower doesn't change. Oh, yeah, it's always fascinating when we come back to this topic of uh, physicality and forcers and everything. There's also something, Alex, I, like that ties in with the communication after games and what you do during games and tough guys. I remember being Chicago stadium. Terry Ruskowski was my centerman. We were on the bench at the time. The Blackhawks had a player named Al Secord. I mean, one of the toughest, strongest. He also scored a whole bunch of goals one year or two or three years. So like you're talking about the true power forward back in the day, but tough as nails. Roscoe had played with Al in Chicago. So they knew each other very well. And Roscoe knew how tough Al Secord was. So that just, it kind of goes between, you're talking about two of the toughest guys to play, but during the game. So what happens with it, right in front of our bench, one of our young guys starts mixing it up with Al Secord. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he was young enough to not know who Al was and naive enough to know, not know who Al Secord was. So they get in a scrum and they're right in front of our bench. 
And Al Secord just rears back with his right to throw, and he does. And Roscoe on the bench kind of stops the punch from the bench, which is illegal, and, you know, you get a penalty if you want. So Secord looked right away and saw it was Roscoe and didn't do anything. A guy who would bite your head off. But there was a respect from playing each other where Secord said, okay, if Roscoe's doing this and what Roscoe's doing is... is the kid would have got killed. Like, he would have got pummeled. And he just... And so, Al Seacord, I mentioned, you be judged by your on-ice actions. Well, Al had built up such a long body of work of being a tough guy. By stopping there, it didn't hurt his body of work. He, he had already built it up. But when I could just see it. When he looked at Roscoe, and Roscoe, it was just kind of like... And it's almost like Roscoe's pleading with him, don't, don't do it, you know. And, and, and if, Al could, if he wanted to keep it going, it would have been maybe a bench clear because it happened from a guy reaching over from the bench onto the ice. So that's kind of a no-no, right? But um, no one took advantage of the situation. And it's just interesting to me how it kind of blends into all that respect and then who are your tough guys. And it's, it's just a very interesting moment. Back then... There was no Department of Player Safety no. to step in no. and mete out justice. It was very much settle it yeah. yourself, boys. Yeah. And the, you know, left the linesman and the referee would have had to if if something developed out of it, they would have to have a written uh, report at the end of the game. But no video probably to support what goes on. So you just kind of take everyone's piece. I, I that caught me by okay, Al is tough, but because of the wars he'd been through, and and I have to say it. Just preface, you don't want to use wars. It's in the athletic context, context yeah, and not the of course, world context. Of course. But uh, they, they, there was, that was a mutual respect. And, and looking back on it now, that was like, wow. You know, two guys who just, they, they went to war in the hockey context uh, every night. And at the same time, they still respected each other. All right, so the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've played a lot of overtime games this season. In fact, they had four in a row uh, up through last week. Lost in overtime to the Blackhawks on October 18th. Lost to the Islanders on October 19th, the back-to-back. Then beat Toronto in overtime on the 21st. And then beat Carolina in overtime on the 24th. Excuse me. John Tortorella, you would think he would be... uh, you know, just happy with the result, right? We're getting it done three on three. And he said something. He said it in the past. It's not the first time that he's criticized the format that we currently have with three on three, which, by the way, has been a great invention. Started in the AHL. Ken Holland was a big proponent of it. And he said the other day, this overtime is dynamite. They should just, I don't know what they're waiting to get rid of this shootout stuff. I know they're worried about time limit. I know it's not going to last long. If it goes past five minutes, it's not going to be many more minutes after five. I think it's just dynamite. He wants three-on-three overtime, which is, again, a relatively recent invention in the National Hockey League. used to be five-on-five, then four-on-four. He wants three-on-three to go on until we have a winner or to bring back ties, which would be my point of view. But first, three-on-three, can it work if we just let it go? I think it all sounds great in theory. And if there's one guy that I would listen to about how the game and the state of hockey would be John Tortorella, he's one of the five that I think really 
are deep thinkers and are competitors, but there you will get that game that doesn't end after 20 minutes of three-on-three. Travel schedules, is it a back-to-back situation? Are you now tinkering with the competitive nature of the schedule and how it unfolds? If you're playing, do you just let the other team score? I mean, you get to that point where you've got to protect. Then there's another issue. And to me, it's player safety. Your stars are going to play in that three-on-three. Although, I'll admit, nowadays we see more rolling of lines. You can see three or four or five or six different combinations, which in the past, when a three-on-three started, it was like two units of three for each team. That was chaos. They just kept rolling (laughs) it over. Uh, I don't... I love the three-on-three. There is a subtle thing about the shootout that I think is part of growing the game. I think that you don't need to know the rules of hockey to understand a mono-a-mono shootout situation. You don't need to know icing, offside. So the new fan who has now sat their way through 60 minutes of a game, 65, they get to go home and they get to say, wow, that... I didn't have to be thinking on offside. And I'm only talking about, what, 1%, maybe 2 maybe 5 I don't know. So there is just an introductory level fan that can appreciate the shootout. And that's part of the reason why I'd keep it in. The big reason is because you will get those games that just go too long. I want excitement in a hockey game. I think part of the reason our sport is so great is the nonstop action. Almost any time the game has three-on-three overtime and gets to a shootout, there's a letdown in the building. Of uh, We've had this phenomenal three-on-three overtime. It's frantic. It's chaotic. And now we get to slow down 1v1 on a shootout that could last 12 rounds. Only t- it's only one out of three that players have success in converting in a shootout. Whereas three on three, there's bound to be breakdowns, especially as fatigue comes into play. I'm thinking, too, about that new fan. If we're introducing them to our game, the only time that the shootout comes into play as a regular part of our game is on a penalty shot, which might be the most exciting play in hockey because of its rare nature. I hate the fact that we've taken this rare thing and, oh, let's just have a little skills competition by the end. And this should decide who gets an extra point. That's not hockey. That's not our game. We don't. Baseball hasn't started putting a guy on second base yet, even though they might be getting there. I just have one question. Yeah. Well, I have more than one, but why not reward skill? You can do that in you three on three. You said it's just a skills competition. Why not reward skill? Reward skill with three on three. That's actually part of the game. Yes, but then you are extending and putting players in danger of fatigue and injury. And once again, the exception is what happens when you get to that 20 minutes. Now, you're going to play another period. It's going to happen rarely, about as rare as the 18-round shootout. Yep. But it, it will happen. And then... That's why I'm okay with ties. Play a 10-minute three-on-three. And here's my solution, because I know ties, th- there's always been this sense that you could play for a tie. 
Okay. And that's what happened now. Exactly. I know. It, it, it did happen a ton. And that's part of the reason why we went in this direction. I think part of the issue becomes the extra point that we get for winning the game. You can, you can still sit back and get one point. Where this becomes an issue is in non-conference play, West versus East. Two teams can still say, eh, I'm okay with the one point here if we go to a shootout. This is where I think ties can come back in. A team can get two or zero in a non-conference game, let's say. Mm-hmm. It's too easy for both teams to sit back and say 1-1. One, one. And I, even bringing back ties, he would be. But how much is that second point more valuable? The, just to go on your point of excitement, what the NHL felt was happening and what was happening was in a tie game in the last 10 minutes, both teams did clamp it down and they didn't go for it. And the last 10 minutes of a regular season game became boring. So then you introduce the overtime and you decide to give each team, well, a point, which I don't mind that either because you, you got to give them that reason to get to that. It, it's some, so, let, so then you might have the non-conference three-on-threes when it first came out mm-hmm. were crazy. Yes. Way crazier than it is now. But you know what happened? Coaches got in the way. Oh, you coaches. They started to spend time on three-on-threes and how to defend and what's going on and what the process is and where to put guys and make sure you don't miss the net on the wide side, which is all great. But um, I haven't done any research into it. Maybe I haven't have. either. No, I what haven't. What about the three, just, two, one? Yeah, I've seen every time that um, it's intriguing to me. Uh, I, again, I, I just need to hear the argument of how it incentivizes offensive to end the game to go and get that two points. Get that. So yeah. if you get the win, you get three in yeah. regulation. Yeah, uh, the incentive. Uh, it would have to be done, right, in the AHL first? So, something uh, like no that. doubt, and yeah. that's where three-on-three three kind yes. of was born anyway. The AHL started out when they did when they first introduced this. They didn't go straight to three-on-three. Three. They had four-on-four four for four minutes and then three-on-three three for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Then it became a full thing. The NHL adopted it and so on and so forth. This, what you're proposing, and we've seen this before, three points for a regulation win, zero for a regulation loss. If you go to overtime, it's two points for a win in overtime, one point for a loss in yep. overtime, and so on and so forth in the shootout. Here's the problem, and here's why our system, as much as on paper, again, it, it, it sounds great. Oh, let's reward winning in regulation. Part of the reason why the NHL is so compelling is because of the current point structure. General managers uh, and owners both, I think, would be in agreement to say, I want to have as close a race More in the More teams around for a longer oh, of course. period of time. Of course. The three-point game has been a boon for playoff races down the stretch. You think about how many teams are still in it in the final couple weeks. Even, let's say you're five points out with three weeks to go. Well, we're right there. Even though, realistically, we both know, having seen enough of it, that you're, you're going to have to really put on a, a huge finish in order to get in when you're five points out. But you're only five points out. You're close. I haven't done any research into the three-two-one, but I will say this: the leagues that I watch that offer similar situations, or at least more incentives, are soccer. Yeah. So I understand the competitive nature. I understand the business nature. 
Let's introduce relegation then. So without, not, you're not going to do Rochester that, right? Get the Rochester Americans to play for the Stanley Cup. You, you, you got you have that, that happening. So that's, it's something that doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. fit the business model because the differences of revenue are just so dramatic. But I'm wondering, just wondering, if there is a corresponding factor when you have their point system and you also have a relegation involved yeah. in the league that's, that's involved. That's part of it. Because if I'm not mistaken... All European leagues have relegation? Basically. Yeah, basically every yeah. league has in a, the world yeah. other than U.S. That's tough. Slash Canada with MLS. But I understand. I, you know, I understand the right. I, business nature. If can I'm also, an owner, I want to protect my bucks a little bit more. I can also understand why the shootout thing or the three-on-three overtime, given how we, we see all the presentations that the NHL gives, they are actively promoting the fact that in an era where pace of play in football is terrible – where pace playing baseball is terrible, or the NBA is okay, the NHL is making a huge sales push to companies saying, we have the best pace of play of all the major North American professional leagues. The best. I can see why they wouldn't want to mess with it. Can it be too fast? Can it get, can it get going so fast question. that 80% of the players can no longer execute at that speed and it just becomes a hodgepodge? I think that's more fun. Okay. It's like a game of shinny. I like when, I like when we lose all structure and it just becomes chaos. Uh, but to be determined whether or not they go down the route of, of changes, maybe they would add a couple extra minutes to three on three. Who knows? Um, other item that was in the news this week, Jeremy Calden. We saw him in the Chicago Blackhawks over the weekend. Interesting comments on Thursday of last week uh, when his team was playing the Flyers. And he called out the team's work ethic. It's not the combos. We can, I could get the bingo balls out, and with the players we have, I could throw any combos out there, and they would work. If we had the work ethic away from the puck, and we managed it, and we played a winning-style, team-first mentality up and down the lineup, they would work. Anything could work. You saw that in the third. We jumbled it up. It wasn't the combos. It was the work ethic. We dominated because we were skating, we were winning battles. We got pucks deep. That's the recipe. We hear all the time fans screaming at their team, oh, they're, they're, they're not giving a good effort here or there. And I know this bugs you big time. Well, it, it's used all the time. Players use it after game. Why'd you get beat? Well, we got it worked. Coaches, why'd you lose tonight? You got it worked. Uh, no. What they're unwilling to say is the other team is better than us or the other team was better than us tonight, or I screwed up on that one line change, and I shouldn't have done that. We end up losing. So we get outworked. You get outworked. You get outworked. I, there are reasons why players are not 100% committed, and those reasons have to be eliminated. For instance, you do not accept your role on the team. So you're on the bench. When you're on the ice, you have no... T- That's why I kind of... When you're on the ice, you don't have time to think about not giving effort or not. But on the bench, you can be distracted. Your mind can wander. Why? I should be on here. I should be playing on the top line. I should be here. Uh, The coach isn't using me well. If that's spinning in your mind while you're on the bench, then you're not necessarily focused enough to get on the ice for the next shift. And that's where I think it shows through in those types of situations. Or when the coach is not explaining or selling his system to the team 
and that they go out there and they're confused. And then they're not able to execute. I thought Todd McClellan brought up a great, I've never heard it before from a coach. I thought it was excellent. And we might get into it. I know Todd was very point blank about abilities of people to play at the NHL level. But he brought up the word will the other day. And that kind of correlates with effort, right? Or, you know, does your want to do it? That's kind of an effort. Well, he said, will is not only players. It's coaches too. So he took a little bit of response. He has to make sure that his players are 100% committed when they go on the ice. So I just feel, and I know it's happened here. I mean, a million times. You know, I just, you know, you'll hear it from players. We got outworked tonight. We were outworked tonight. There's no such thing as wanting it more. There's no such thing for a professional athletes. Say, I'm going to be hungrier than that guy. I'm going to be harder to, to play against than that guy. There's no such thing? Individually, no. Team concept, yes. Is the atmosphere created where no one cares who gets the credit? Number one reason the Kings won the Stanley Cup in 2012, probably in 14 also, but in 2000, no one cared who got the credit. So their mind, when they went on the ice, was not thinking about anything else but expending the necessary... There's a difference between working hard and working smart. And I think that gets confused. So there's a lot of different elements. Again, the Kings players during that year, and you probably make the argument for every championship team in any sport, single focus. So that means the coach has to do a, and the GM and whoever, they have to create an atmosphere where everyone is content with their role. If you don't like it, you get through it, you find a way to get it done. That's where I think in the team concept it works. To pick out an individual player and say he's not giving effort, that's fine with me. You got to call him out, I don't though, think, right? I, well, I don't think I've ever done it on the air but because this. And when I hear it from fans, this is what I like, or coaches or players, anyone. When you criticize someone effort, I want to know the player's name. I want to know the play and what you felt the effort was not there. I don't want to hear he hasn't scored in 10 games. That's not, I want you to tell me on this dump in, he was not going at 100%. And if he wasn't going at 100%, maybe it's because he doesn't understand the system well enough. The coach didn't explain it well enough. Or he's slower picking up that system than other players. Where should I be? 2014, Rangers, the opponent of the Kings. Alain Vigneault, I was thought was excellent. You know why? Because his team got from point A to point B quicker than any other team playing that year because they had that system down. Whatever it is, it changes from team to team. But they didn't have any thoughts. They didn't have any hesitation. They got there. And that's where I think that maybe, maybe at times, effort is misdefined by not getting there. Mm. Loose puck battles, you get in. You know what coaches do? They say, we got to work tonight. We lost those loose puck battles. You know what they do the next day? They bring the individual player and they show them and say, this is what we need you to do. We need you to be positioned better. We need you to, uh, okay, this is your job here. In this instance, you've got to get to that point as fast as possible. 
or you've got to slow down and let the other go guy first and you come and support. You got, but then you're in a 50-50 puck battle. It used to be get mad at the player. He lost the battle. I'm mad at him. Oh, he's got to work. No, now they typically break it down. Okay, see your left leg here? Swing it around so your hip's in position here to make sure the guy can't get to the puck. Okay, see that stick? Blake Lazat, little guy, get underneath his stick and really be strong on the... They help them step by step by step. So I don't think they're helping effort. They're helping the ability of the player to use his skill set to the ultimate. And so that's... And I know viewers watching, they want me to get mad at the players when it's not going well. Not my job to get mad at the players. My job is to try to say what's going on. And if there is a time when I see a player not giving it, it's my responsibility to say that. I don't know if I've been seen that where I can, I can 100% say he is not trying on purpose. He is purposely not giving the effort. I find it hard to, even in this profession, call out an individual player because, well, <laughs> A, never played any sort of sport in any high enough level to understand what that sort of maximum effort is when you are at the top of your profession as an athlete. Never could understand that. So from our standpoint, we can't armchair quarterback. The other thing that... I kind of kick back and forth too, is psychology makes a difference here too. When things are not going well, it's going to look like, wow, yeah, we didn't give the best effort out there tonight. When you're losing five to one, it's hard to keep body language up. That doesn't mean effort has changed, right? It just means, well, we're beating beat five to one and that sucks. <laughs> and you know what? It does suck. I'm sure for the guys in that room no fun this is a game and and you're not having fun when you're losing like that if i were to use effort or the perceived effort or lack thereof every game i played with dave taylor i was outworked by dave taylor dave taylor worked harder than i ever did i don't think that's the case i think i worked as hard as i can in the style in which i felt was most effective for that team which is probably a lot less physical and a lot less aggressive than Dave Taylor. But that's not why the Kings drafted me, or that's not why a team picks up. And hopefully, at the end of the day, you put all these players together and uh, they get it done. It, it's, a very, it's a very difficult concept to try to sell to someone. I'm trying to sell it right now, and it's, you know, we're going on long here, but that's, that's, it's a tough concept to sell. But I just think... If I were to bottom line it, player and a coach after a game just can't get into the specific reasons of why they lost the game. They can't get into, they can't admit what happens if you're playing the eighth game of the year and the coach says, we're not good enough. We're not well, as good as the other team. That's, that's why I'm we're opening up my LA Times mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. I've got a quote because I want to get your take on it. Mm hmm there are some veterans that really have to pick up their play. There are some individuals that get a fair amount of ice time that don't have an impact. 
This trip was good because it let us know there are some players that probably can't play in the league right now. So maybe we'll have to make some changes. Todd McClellan, after the Kings back-to-back in Minnesota and Chicago. Two 5-1 losses. How do we interpret those comments in light of what we're just talking about here? You can take it literally, which means that the talent level on the Kings is not up to par to win games. If everyone's talent level was equal, it would be a tie every night. Now then you bring in now you have to bring in system understanding, system execution, you got the same talent, all those things and how you execute is a whole different thing. Uh, so you can take it literally. He's looking at his roster and going, well, well, you know what? Uh, USA Today had the Kings with 56 points at the end of the season. So do they think we have a good team? <laughs> no, they don't. We're on most pace for people, that right now. most people selected the Kings to finish last. Are most people right or most people wrong? I don't know. That's why you play the games, right? That's why you go out and do it. I think I said it after the Chicago game. At least I did to, to John Rosen in, in his uh, rapid report after the game. Uh, what were my expectations coming into this season? In 2012, you know what I said? I think pat myself on the back. I said I would not be surprised if the Kings win the Stanley Cup. That was before a puck was dropped to start the season. So I analyzed the team. I analyzed the personnel. I came up with a conclusion and an expectation. High expectation. This year, I have a different one. I'm also taking into consideration what I'm hearing from the Kings and their management staff, which is we're in a transition phase here. We understand we're caught with contracts that maybe we don't want to have. We're, caught, we're so when Todd makes those, that's that's a very that's a hard hitting statement mm-hmm. because the Kings do have some prospects now that they feel can help. If you brought up every prospect, every say six guys, seven guys from Ontario right now and put them on the Kings, would the Kings make the playoffs? Oof. I can't say that they'd be any better or any worse. I'd okay, so I'm basing it on the expectation. I don't right. think it changes that dynamic that much. No. And I have to preface this because I know when I'm talking to f- fans all the time, it's I hope the Kings make the playoffs as much as you do. I've been with the Kings for four years, or it's coming up on my 40th year with the Kings. I want it to happen. Selfishly, if the Kings make the playoffs, I get paid more. So, and then... If they end up doing what they did in 12 and 14, I get a feeling in my heart that I just can never recreate. And there's a satisfaction that you just can never take away. And I never played in those games. You also get to throw a pretty nice party. That's right. You get to enjoy. You get to celebrate. You get to to see, as I saw in 12, where there was four generations of fans. When we went by the parade, and when we had we had two-year-old, we had teenager, we had mom, we had grandmom in the same. All that's great. But I've got to analyze, said before the season to you, right? And on the air. First 20 games, I'm not even thinking about record. Now, Todd is getting to that position where he said his biggest element of coaching is to hold players accountable. 
So I think that statement is part of living up to his creed. Every coach feels that way, right? He feels he's living up to that. As you know, some coaches use the media more than others. And I think Todd knows the personnel he has. I think Todd has been patient, and I think he wants to give them the, uh, a big enough sample size to get the things that he wants to, to accomplish. He said before the season, it's going to take time. There's going to, a lot of mistakes are going to be made. To the point in camp where he said, I want to see those mistakes because then we know where we are. Then we can evaluate. Then we can address them. Um, the, the, the big difference will be how the person listening to me right now takes that message in. Do they think I'm making excuses or do they think I'm giving reasons? If you're on board with the king's plan, then I think you're okay with what's going on now. If you're not on board with the plan, then you're going to criticize every single move the Kings are making. I think this is a perfect time to kind of, as we wrap up here, there are a couple questions that I had from fans. I just asked them kind of, you know, Uh open up the floor. This is a great ties right in Cameron Jelena, no relation to Martin is the Kings primary goal this season to win the most games they can and try to sneak into the playoffs. Or are they more concerned with developing young players and finding out who, fits best on the roster. Obviously, both are goals, but what is most important to the players and staff? I think you have to separate those. I don't think they go together. I really don't. But to answer the question, I think their goal is to develop players that they feel will be part of the next core, which will end up being Stanley Cup champions. Seems to me that all the talk that we heard over the offseason was about the plan. There is a plan in place. And if the Kings were saying, we need to do everything humanly possible to make the playoffs this year, you probably would see different personnel by now. But there's only been one roster move, and that's Nikolai Prohorkin being called up, Carl Grundstrom, Toby Bjornfit being sent back down. And based on the way that they've played in Ontario, they're playing pretty well. Let's be honest here. Yeah. The number one thing I see on social media is, Send Jonathan Quick down and send up <laughs> Cal Peterson. Yeah, okay. sure. Now, is there any question in anyone's mind that Cal Peterson is the long-term goal for the Kings? I think that's that's been established even by his contract structure. This year, two-way. The following two years, one-way. Which he's gonna, They are putting him through the grinder right now. They're creating a foundation for Cal that he... He's going to be the hardest working, smartest, most technical. They're playing him through the... They want him to grind it out. Uh, Again, I'll back to that. If you bring up six players from the rain, does it dramatically change the Kings' chances of making the playoffs? And I'm not saying they're not going to make the playoffs. All I'm saying is my expectations are certainly not what they were five years ago. Yeah, Yeah, the Kings are in transition period. We knew that. But I'm still... I want to be here. You know why? Why? Because I want to be on the ground floor. I want to be around the team when they are making those chances. So you know what? When it happens in the future and they win, I can say I was there at the beginning. I was there. I watched that kid grow. I watched him. I saw what the Kings did in their development. I I, I feel part of a team. That's why I want to be a part of it. I'm watching the games. At the end of every game, you think I want to uh, get on that plane? I I want it to be after a win. You know why? But I'm not going to sacrifice that for getting better Long-term. I'm not going to sacrifice that. I have changed my expectations this year for the first time in a long time, 
and I am expecting the Kings to continue with the plan and expecting them to develop players. That's what I'm expecting. Whether that turns into wins and losses, that's for up to, And I hope to play, play, I hope we win every game at Staples Center specifically. Yeah, especially at home. You want that. I just want to see Austin Wagner grow a playoff beard or, or attempt to. Now, <laughs> with all the bad things that have happened this year, I'll still, and we'll see it. We'll see if it happens in the next 10-game segment. I've seen three better periods this year than I've seen in the past two years already. Period. That doesn't mean they went on to win the game. Yeah. doesn't mean... I'm seeing signs, and then I'll go to our Tom McClellan for the, you know, again, description. Yeah. Jekyll and Hyde. Complete. That's what we've seen. Completely inconsistent. Two more, and then we'll uh, wrap things up here. Uh, from um, at Kiff is Metal. What is the protocol for broadcaster travel? A simple do or don't? Like, is there something um, that if you're not involved, if you're not on the plane, you're not traveling with the team every day that you wouldn't think about. I got one in mind. I mean, I've got, I'll just go through the list Uh, for me is, can you pick one? The players always go first. Okay. Yeah. It's a good one. So eat first off the bus first on the plane first, eat first, everything, everything is them first. And it should be that way. Get to the hotel. They're first on the elevator. You wait for them to go. They go. They are the reason we are there. They go first. Protocol for broadcaster traveler. Don't dawdle. Whatever you do, whether it's getting your luggage off the plane and on the bus or off the bus on the plane or checking into the hotel or doing whatever, do not dawdle. Do not get in the way. The Kings are maybe the most efficient in the league at getting from point A to point B. Our equipment staff. Are they ever good? 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes for all the equipment for a National Hockey League team to be packed up, put on the bus, and we're out of the arena. 30 minutes every night. It's crazy. I'll summarize what you just said. They will wait for a player. Alex, they will not wait for you. <laughs> they won't wait for you either. Hold on. What? No, yeah, they sorry. will not. No, they will commercial, not. Commercial. Commercial ticket the next day. It's Nick Nixon got caught in a traffic jam last yeah. year. Coming in, and and granted, he lives up in Santa Clarita. It's a long drive for him as is, so he has to budget enough time. It took him three and a half hours to drive from Santa Clarita to LAX. The team plane left without him. He bought a commercial ticket to Chicago yeah, yeah. and met the team. That's what happens. Don't don't dawdle. Don't miss the plane. You don't want to be that guy. Final question. Uh oh. This is from the A Z Viking. Did the Viking, we're in the Maddie Nordstrom. That's right. Memorial Podcast Studio. Hold on. Yeah. That's in memory of his career, right? Because he's still alive. So I want to make sure that <laughs> not that's the that's the running joke. The memorial. That's the running joke, Jim. I'm glad you got it. Thank you. And uh, did the ice cream machine survive Whoa. the flood in the media room at Staples Center? It's a close call, wasn't it? One thing I know, if everything goes normal between now and Wednesday. As we're taping right now, which will be the game at home against the Vancouver Canucks, I will be there. Ooh. If the ice cream was not ready, I would not be there. So you need there a, you go. I need to start searching for your replacement? If, the, will, if the ice cream is not ready? It will be ready. <laughs> or there will be hell to pay. 
Lest Jim Fox be denied his two bowls of vanilla ice cream, soft serve with bits of Oreos in there, oh. and maybe a little bit of extra. I don't, sometimes you go toppings only if they if they, it's not up to standard, you know. Too, well, now with this state of the art machine, it can go through hurricanes. It can go through anything. It's it, true. It's I been mean, tested. Yeah, it can it's go. It's been through battle tested. It. But now. sometimes I like to end just with the Oreos and not the ice cream, just the toppings. You know, just a little lighter. And then you got to brush your teeth to get all the things out. You, otherwise, you'll show up on camera. You get the little flossers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, ice cream or not, we'll be back for another episode in short order. Uh, we've got a lot of fun topics coming on. One that I know is coming up shortly. I'm going to talk to uh, your old buddy Kelly Rudy. Do you have to use that word "short" all the time? Short order, shortly. So, but Daryl Evans might be listening to this, you know. And I see him out the door right now. It's actually I got to look. I got to really peer over because it's hard to see that low. But standing under the table yeah, again. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, you know, I like to keep things short and sweet. <laughs> Until next time. See you later.